We live in troubling times, political, cultural, and church fighting at every turn. We live in a society that is simply upside wrong, where what was once wrong is right, and what was once right is wrong. Where are the Lord's quality leaders? Where are our modern-day Nehemiahs? Do they exist? We need sound teachers who present accurate facts as they relate to Scripture, who are clear and free from meaningless clichés and relevant to our current events. You know, men and women like Nehemiah, our study, Hand Me My Sword, sets out to present realistic observations to present culture while evaluating how each applies to the eschatological truths contained in the Old and New Testaments. In the book of Nehemiah, the man who led God's people is presented in three roles. Early in the book, he is the cupbearer of the king, a servant. Midway through the story, he is a builder of the wall. In the third part of the book, he is governor of the city and surrounding sections of Jerusalem. He was a true and authentic leader of God. Hand Me My Sword is framed within the emphasis of using one hand to rebuild while keeping the sword of the Spirit in the other. We are praying that this mini-series blesses you beyond measure, so let's get started with our lesson for today. sword. That's the name of our series that we are doing on the book of Nehemiah. We're in the process of unfolding or extracting eschatology from the Old Testament. Number nine, stopping oppression. We're going to talk about the importance of listening to the outcry of the people. There's an old technique that is used throughout political and church leadership. And that is if you really want to captivate the people, if you really want to earn the respect of the people, if you really want to get the people on your side, then your first agenda should be going after those who are oppressing your people. Find a solution, deliver the solution, and let them eat the fruit of that solution. You will have those people on your side probably until death parts them. We'll also review when God enacts faith. 
You heard that correct. When God enacts faith, people cannot enact faith. Faith has to be given to us by a leader. Therefore, people have faith in these leaders all over the world. But when God enacts faith, we literally have the faith of Jesus Christ living inside of us. We'll review shaking the dust off of our garments and getting back to work. Now that's not like what we have been told of shaking off the dust of our sandals. We'll talk about the two different kinds that are being referenced in Nehemiah. We'll go on to talk about fighting and solving oppression problems. Makes happy workers. Happy worker, quality leader. Finally, we're going to make use of those lazy workers by having them take out the trash. Starting from the bottom up is always a good plan. Now let's take a look at our scripture for today. It states in Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 13, these words. Now there was a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, We, our sons and daughters, are many. Therefore let us get grain that we may eat and live. There were others who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, our houses, that we might get grain because of the famine. Also there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is like the flesh of our brothers, our children like children. Yet behold, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of those daughters are forced into bondage already. And we are helpless because our fields and vineyards belong to others. Then I was very angry when I had heard their outcry and these words. I consulted myself and contended with the nobles and the rulers and said to them, You are exacting usury, each from his brother. Therefore I held a great assembly against them. I said to them, We, according to our ability, have redeemed our Jewish brothers who were sold to the nations. Now would you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us? Then they were silent and could not find a word to say. Again I said, The thing which you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? And likewise, I, my brothers, and my servants are lending them money and grain. Please let us leave off this usury. Please give back to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, the olive groves, their homes, also the hundredth part of the money and of the grain, the new wine and the oil that you are exacting from them. Then they said, We will give it back and require nothing from them. We will do exactly as you say. So I called the priests and I took an oath from them 
that they would do according to this promise. I also shook out the front of my garment and said, Thus my God shake out every man from his house, from his possessions, who does not fulfill this promise. Even thus may he be shaken out and emptied. And all of the assembly said, Amen, and they praised the Lord. Then the people did according to this promise. Can you imagine for a moment hearing the cry of a desperate soul and then walking away without helping? Honestly, I carry a greater burden for those who do this than the ones who are suffering. The reality that we live in today, the lion's share do exactly that, both in spiritual and earthly worlds. You know the gig, turning your head to avoid the messiness of involving yourself in trauma and pain. We've all done it. Allow me to deliberate a story. A true story. When I was six years of age, I was playing with my best friend. I sent him across the street to get something from his home. He got on his trike, headed down the steep driveway. His mother and I saw the trauma unfold at the same time. A car was racing down the street headed toward my friend. Before his mother and I could reach him, that car ran over him. By the time I got to the end of the driveway, I saw the car tire pop his head, resulting in his blood drenched over my body. After the firemen picked me up out of the street, put me on the curb, I repetitively said aloud, I killed my best friend. This traumatic event stayed with me throughout my life. While the sorrow I had for my friend was severe enough, the agony I saw in the faces of his father and mother left a greater mark on my conscience, even more than the death of my friend. The Lord used this trauma to cement my passion to free the oppressed. Without question, the Lord implanted in me that day the beginnings of my compelling pursuit of freeing the oppressed. It is in this that the subtitle of our ministry is titled Compassion in Action. Now let's take a look at the outcry of the people. Nehemiah stepped into a mess. When he heard the great outcry of the people, without question, he most likely reflected on his childhood of being oppressed by the Babylonians. Because he grew up under the oppression and the oppressive nature of Babylon, he understood oppression. In my view, I believe God used this memory to establish him as the perfect candidate to free God's people from their oppression. The basic method of madness the king of Babylon used on the Jews was keeping them on the edge of starvation. Intuitively, Nehemiah knew that providing food was a top priority. He used every ounce and resource available to him, including money from his own pocket, to solve this need. He also knew that his warriors would be weak if their tummies were not full. Furthermore, he had to resolve the crisis by buying back the vineyards and farms they lost to the wealthy Jews. 
Finally, and most importantly, he had to buy back the wives, sons, daughters, and warriors who were sold into slavery. What was Nehemiah to do? He dug deep into his pockets to buy food, buy back the vineyards, and the slaves sold to bondage. The prospects of the poor people among the returned exiles were deplorable. They had been deficient in rains, poor in harvests. They had mortgaged their lands to their rich brethren and sold their children to pay the royal taxes and procure means of subsistence. The rich had taken advantage of their necessities, oppressing them with grievous acts requiring immediate payment of all their debts, or else. When Nehemiah heard of it, he seems to have the attitude of standing up against this wrong. And in his way, he began to protest by using the dependence on God for support. And in a great assembly, he fronted the abusers with the act of selfishness and greed. Nehemiah pleaded with the wealthy Jews to forgive them of their debts and return the property to the starving Jews. In addition, he commanded them to return to God and stop looking after their own selfish interests. Let's review when God enacts faith. This history shows us, first of all, how when God takes action, faith stamps its character on the people who surround it. Nehemiah acted in such faith. It was Nehemiah's faith that activated the faith of all the Jews in Jerusalem, poor or rich. The Jews who had so long left Jerusalem desolate are challenged to the core of their bloodline rights and are motivated to recommence the work of fixing what they had left desolate. Judah, however, is discouraged by Nehemiah placing their sins and consequences before them, that of laziness and ignorance. Nehemiah's faith brings out the perseverance which characterizes true faith when the work is of God, be it ever so poor in appearance. His job was to shift their focus from self to a work of God. By his faith in God and a supernatural miracle of heart, Nehemiah's immovability, the people are ready to work and fight simultaneously. For authentic faith always identifies God and his people from inside out. And this becomes a spring of living water for all concerned. That certainly was the case with Nehemiah. Let's be honest. In times of difficulty, despair, and hopelessness, faith does not show itself in the magnificence of the final product. But in moving forward while embracing difficulties, the love of God carries us across the line of victory. Let's review Shake the Dust Off Your Garment You probably have heard of the phrase, shake the dust off your sandals and move on. Well, this Old Testament statement that Nehemiah made 
was set up in the form of what would happen to the people who did not keep their word, keep their promises, to free Jerusalem and restore them back to God's style of leadership. Nehemiah shook out the front of his garment and he said, Thus may God shake out every man from his house and from his possessions who does not fulfill this promise. Even thus may be shaken out and emptied. Meaning shaking the dust out of his garment was a symbol of using every resource to advance and complete the mission. God gave Nehemiah to be successful. It would require every possession, belief, and worker to accomplish this task. Now the real punch in this whole thing was, is if there were betrayers of this particular plan that God gave Nehemiah, they too, they themselves, would be shaken off the garment of God. Looking to our culture, how many of us would apply Nehemiah's mandate to cause the success of the Lord in his plans for a church or ministry? Well, my guess would be not many. And using the illustration of shaking off what is on the garment, could this have a correlation to Revelation's reveal about those who do not accept God's plan, they don't accept God's leader, Jesus Christ, and basically they're going to be shaken off the garment of the living God. I say, good chance of it. Let's take a look at the primary principles in our study. Number one, oppression. Stand against all forms of oppression. It's critical. It's at the beginning part of your work, and you need to maintain that throughout all the days of the project. Number two, crying out. Listen carefully to the voices that cry out for help. A good leader has one ear turned toward his workers and the other ear turned toward his authority. Put the two of those together and you have perfect hearing. Number three, faith. Absolutely nothing can be accomplished without faith in Christ. Our faith in Christ is literally given to us as a gift. So therefore, the faith that we do have is Christ's faith. Number four, shake it off. Be willing to give it all for the mission of Christ. While you take it as a warning, to those who refute Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior in life, may, on one day, be shaken off of the garment of God. In conclusion, Nehemiah knew that he and the people of Jerusalem needed to do the work by using God's exact plans. He by faith needed to embrace this and implore the workers to function with faith, even if they did not have faith of their own and had to depend upon the faith of Nehemiah. Furthermore, the people needed to accept that Nehemiah had no intentions of associating himself with those who would seek to stop what God had ordered him to do. He was a firm believer in task first, relationship second. A modality that I might add was used by Jesus Christ. While it wounds the weak people, 
It is imperative that God's plan of rebuilding takes place. Jesus himself demonstrates this. Remember when the messenger told Jesus that Lazarus was dying? His reply, I am about my father's business. And as you know, Lazarus died while Jesus was tending to his father's business. Nonetheless, Jesus understood that nothing should get in the way of the father's assigned tasks. Coming up next is number 10, Nehemiah's generosity. We'll carefully explore that inner character that Nehemiah had in taking care of people first. Compassion is seen all the way through the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a generous man, full of grace, full of peace, full of adventure, and mostly he was full of empathy for God's people. He obviously was a servant type. He would never have made it as a cupbearer. And it is that particular identification point of being in a cupbearer that we're going to focus on in our next episode as we talk about Nehemiah's generosity and how we could benefit from the way that man functioned. Thank you for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. We hope that you just continue on with this particular series. Until next time.